be the praise, God. You're here in this room with us. Lord, we, we love you. And it's so many times we need for you just to come and minister to us afresh and awake our soul. Our soul just tends to get sleepy, Lord. It tends to get blinded. It tends to get distracted. And so God, just thank you for fixing our eyes on you and being attentive to your presence that's here with us. So Lord, help us just to continue to just tap into that, tap into your presence that's with us and allow you to speak to us. You speak, Lord, today. We believe it. We declare it even right now to our sleepy soul. So God, do something in us. I know there's things you want to do in us. This is not an hour where we do not want to miss what you have for us. So come and speak, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here this evening. And for those tuning in online, thank you for joining us as well. And also those in the overflow room, the upper room that we have. We have the church all over the place, which is awesome, which is really cool. If you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, like I mentioned last week, We're in a sermon series here called Move Beyond Your Bubble. Move Beyond Your Bubble. Sometimes we just get so caught into the Christian bubble that we stay in and we feel comfortable and safe in that environment. And so we looked at last week how we need to move to those that are different from us. Move to those that are different from us, that are not Christian, that are not like us. You have to move to them and move beyond your bubble. Well, today going to look at moving beyond your bubble to sometimes those that we label as impossible. Impossible. You know, with witnessing, uh, like I shared last week in the story, where it, a lot of it is being filled by God's Spirit and allowing Him to pour out through you to help others encounter Jesus. And there's a passion that He fills in us. But what happens, I know in my life, when I look at witnessing, sometimes what can happen is with great passion that I have, I could also have great disappointment. The great passion, there is the danger of great disappointment you're going to have and you run into. You're going to be passionate and want to witness people, and then I know what would happen, I would then run into some people that I would start to label as impossible, as if they, can they come to Christ? And I would be disappointed because nothing happened. And as a result, my witnessing would go down because my passion was down. It's kind of like on that, like a seesaw, if you look at that image. You know, uh, your passion could start to go down when disappointment rises. So how, how do we raise that passion back up? Because when I think about the mission Jesus has given to you and I, we are to move beyond our bubble, even to those that we would sometimes label as impossible. He wants us to move beyond our Christian bubble that sometimes we put ourselves in. And sometimes that bubble can even be the disappointments we face. 
we face, and we, we kind of enclose ourselves in it. We never move to someone that we know that needs Christ because we're afraid or that passion's lost, or we think, ah, oh, I'm just going to be setting myself up for disappointment. Nothing's going to happen. And so we put ourselves in this little bubble, and our disappointment goes up, and then our passion for witnessing goes down. And we don't witness to those that we sometimes label as impossible. Now, who am I talking about impossible? You think in your mind. You probably know who those people are that you tend to label as impossible. Maybe it's the, the person that you know that's an atheist. Maybe it's the, the person that, you know, maybe it's your university professor or something like that. Right, guys? You know, and maybe it's also the people that in your neighborhood, maybe it could be a loved one that you know you've been praying for and nothing has been happening. Maybe it's been someone that's of a different lifestyle, maybe from the LGBTQ community. Maybe it's someone that's of a different religion, Hindu, Muslim. Another even generation, maybe, you think is impossible. Some of those that are a little older, you're probably thinking like, yeah, I've seen the generation coming up. I feel like they're impossible to reach. Maybe it could be the person that's so rich, you know, a businessman or businesswoman that has everything in life. They don't see any need of what else they would, that they would need Jesus We have these people that we put in our minds as impossible and we label them as impossible to reach. So what do you and I need for our passion to rise and our disappointment to go down? I believe you and I need faith and perspective to see that God can reach anyone. God can reach anyone and God can use you. God can reach anyone. And God can certainly use you. And this passage points us to the fact that God can reach anyone. And that God can use you. Because there's two stories here. One with Saul, who later on becomes the Apostle Paul, and Ananias. And so my encouragement to you and I is for us just to move beyond our bubble Move beyond the Christian bubble to those that are impossible. Take great courage because it's going to also take great faith that God can reach them. And that's the first point there I want you to see from this passage in Acts chapter 9 if you're there in your Bibles. We can move beyond our bubble to the impossibles that we label in our life because God can reach them. You don't believe me? Look at Saul. Starting in verse 1, look what, what it says about Saul. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was what they called those that followed Jesus, who was the way, the truth, and life, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This was one impossible dude, all right? Saul. He is breathing threats and murder. I mean, imagine this guy with me, all right? Imagine this guy. And in fact, also, he has a hit list. And your name might be on one of them. I mean, no, this guy you'd think is impossible. I can't speak to him. He's going to murder me before I even speak to him about Jesus. You would look at this guy and think, it's impossible. Well, keep reading what happens to him. In verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he's identifying with his church, this people, the body of Christ. 
Well, it continues. In verse 6, he says to Saul, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, so he was blinded. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. That's a crazy event, isn't it? God appearing, Jesus appearing to Paul, I mean, to Saul, who later becomes Paul, appears to him and speaks to him, even witnesses hearing the words spoken to him. Now, why do I say God can reach anyone? Because I think in this passage, you see clearly first that God has the power to speak to someone, speak directly to someone, to get their attention. A man, especially that was breathing threats and murder, that you would think impossible to reach, has a hit list. God can reach anyone. And he speaks directly to him. He has the power to do that. He has the power to do that. And he has the power to do that still today. If you think about in the Middle East, some stories, you ever hear about some of those that are coming to faith in Christ? God's speaking through visions and dreams to them. Because some of them not having access to hear the gospel. Jesus still speaks today. He speaks Speaks to the inner part of our heart. He speaks through visions, through dreams. He even speaks audibly as well. God still speaks today. And he still has the power to reach in and talk to someone deep in their heart. Ever have that situation where a preacher's preaching? And then you feel like, man, that felt like it was directly meant for me. What do you think's going on there? That's God's spirit. That's God's Spirit whispering to you. I'm here. I'm speaking to you. God has the power to speak today. God can reach anyone because God has that power to do that directly to someone. It's not your words that are going to change them. It's God's word that's going to speak to them. And then you also see that God can reach anyone because he also is pursuing those that sometimes we label as impossible. We may not see what all that's happening, but God is pursuing. God is always pursuing. A crazy thing that happens with Saul in, in Acts 26, 14, you actually have to turn there. He tells about this, his testimony, this experience, what happened to him, but in his telling of what happened to him, he adds this other thing that Jesus says to him that's not included here. In verse 14 of chapter 26, Saul would say that Jesus said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what does that mean? We don't often say goads. You know, what, what does that mean? He's, a goad is, a, is, is something that would uh, prod an animal. It was a sharp stick or something like that that would prod the animal to go in a certain way that you want it to go. And he's, Jesus is saying, it's hard, Saul, isn't it, to try to resist me? You can't. I love you too much, and I'm going to reach for you. I'm going to pursue you. And you may think that you're kicking up against me by persecuting my church but, and my people that I love, but I also have your number too. And I'm going to continually pursue you because I love you. That's our God. God pursues those that we sometimes just label as impossible. God can speak to them and God can pursue them. And God is pursuing them. God can reach anyone because of these things. 
if that's the case, if God can do the, those things, then you and I, we need to move to them, move towards them, trusting that God can reach anyone. There's no one that is outside of God's reach. Well, why do we struggle with this? Well, I think sometimes we do make it too much about us and not about God and his power and what he can do. When we start getting afraid or when we start getting like, well, this is going to happen probably and this is not going to end up being the case. They're just going to listen or they're going to mock me. We're making it too much about ourselves. Our eyes are on ourselves and not God and what he can do. And how he can reach anyone. And what happens too when we do that? Our passion goes down. But I think also we forget the wonder and grace that Jesus has shown to you and I. We forget that we were once impossible. That we were ones that were far from God. We were not some likely candidate somehow, and God thought, you know what? I'm going to pick that person because he's not as impossible to reach. No, you and I are forgetting the mercy and grace that God has shown to you and I. There is no us and them. There is no us and those people that are impossible. No, it's all of us and God. We forget sometimes how far we've come. And we forget the wonder of God's grace of what he showed to us. And the mercy that he's shown to us. Sometimes we could end up being like the Pharisee and the tax collector that, in that story that Jesus told. If you don't know it, turn to Luke eight, uh, 18. And I'll read it for you. Jesus was telling this parable and he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And treated others with contempt. And he says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would would uh, he would I'm sorry would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted remember how far you've come Remember that you were once impossible. Remember the grace that God has shown to you and I. Remember this. Because God can reach anyone. And that includes you. That includes you. All of us. There's no us in them. God has reached us. He can reach anyone. There's also the other point is that you and I can move to the impossibles not only just because God can reach anyone but because God can also use you to reach anyone. God wants you and I to be used by him to be a part of that in his pursuit of others. 
And this is what we see happens with Ananias, the other person in this story. In verse 10 through 14, let's read his story. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Always the good response when he speaks like that. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias. I'm sorry, I lost my place right there. And he's seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might see, might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So imagine this here. God speaks to Ananias. He speaks to him. And he actually speaks to him verbally, also in a vision, but also verbally. And if you look throughout how God speaks, if there's a time he's going to speak to you verbally, get a hold of your seat because he's going to a lot of times bring you to a hard task. You'll see that pattern throughout Scripture. And this is what he's leading to him to a hard and difficult task that Ananias, I'm sure, knows about Saul. And so he is, you see it right there. How do you think Ananias felt right away? You see him, he's like, I don't know, Lord. I'm not so sure about this guy. You know, he's a little bit cautious. It's like God saying to you and I, he's saying, I want you to go down to Wawa. I got a guy. I want you to bring him to church, bring him home. And by the way, his name's Osama bin Laden. You know, like, or fill in the gap of whoever else you feel like this is impossible or has breathed murders and threats. So what does God say to Ananias, who is kind of a little bit like, I don't know about this, God. Well, he says in verse 15, follow along. The Lord said, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. That's, that's key right there. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. So Ananias obeyed. He followed. I'm sure wrestling with this as he went along. I'm sure there's parts of him saying, okay, I'm trusting you, Lord, with this. You're going to even use him to be your chosen instrument to reach other people? Okay. And so it says, again, verse 17 says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. That's a good sign there. God's working on Ananias. He's starting to see like, okay, this is my brother in Christ. I wonder if Ananias, this is just conjecture. I'm just wondering if Ananias is starting to get it. Yes, I was impossible too. Let's keep reading. He says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's important for ministry. And it says in verse 18, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So, 
what does Ananias do? How does God use Ananias here with Saul? How does God use Ananias? He uses Ananias in a general sense to bring the spirit of God and the grace of God to Saul. Why do I say that? The spirit of God, well, he uses Ananias for him to regain his sight. Saul regains his sight. That's only something the spirit can do. He also fills him with the spirit. He prays, lays hands, that's God. He puts his spirit. He fills him to be empowered for ministry. To have an encounter again with God. Not just on the road to Damascus, but here now. Again, being filled with the spirit. And I think he experiences the grace of God here. Because what he told Ananias, what God told Ananias, that he's going to be chosen to be my chosen instrument. Now just think about that. Saul's past, knowing who he was. I wonder if Saul wrestled with that. Knowing what he's done. You see, I think in that moment there, I would have loved to have been in that room as I just imagined this. And I really think that Ananias and Saul were both changed that day and having an encounter with God. Both of them just changed by Jesus, by the Spirit and by the grace of God. Because both would encounter that. They both, in a way, had their eyes opened, literally and figuratively. Saul would see by the Spirit of God who Jesus really is. And Ananias would see that there is nothing powerful in himself that allows Saul to regain his sight. That this was God's Spirit working through him. And Saul would see that his past does not disqualify him. He would encounter the grace of God and realizing no matter what you've done, Saul... That's not why I pick you. That's not why I've saved you. That's not why I reached after you. That's not why I pursued you. It's because I just love you. And Ananias would see too. Again, it's not how qualified of a candidate we think that we are. No one's past disqualifies them even from future ministry and for God even to use them to reach masses. Because Saul, who would later on become the Apostle Paul, would reach the Gentiles and carry out God's mission that he said in Acts 1-8 that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Both of them would just see the Spirit of God and the grace of God. And you know why I also say that? Because you know what Ananias' name actually means? If you look up his name, what it means. The Lord is gracious. Don't you think that maybe as he's even going to Saul's house, as he's seeing these things, and he's like, I know this is, you know what, my name. I know my parents picked this for me, this name. But this is not just my name. This is the character of God who shows grace. Incredible, scandalous, extravagant grace. And he can reach anyone. And he can use me to reach anyone. And so I'm going to move beyond my bubble to those that I sometimes label as impossible. That should inspire in you and I, I think, faith. 
But I also want to un- help you understand, do you know how much we miss when we stay in our bubble? We miss in seeing the Spirit of God work. We miss seeing the grace of God work. We miss a fresh encounter again of seeing God do things that we think are impossible, but He is able to do. Because that's our God who specializes in that. To reach anyone. But you and I miss it when we stay in our bubble. And fear and disappointment mount up. I want you and I to see, we need to see and have our souls, as we were singing, awaken, awaken, awake my soul. To see that there is not just a mission that he's given to us, but there's a God who can reach anyone and those that we sometimes label as impossible. And that he can use you and he wants to use you. You know, I want to close in sharing this story of someone that I think where these two points come together. For you to see that God can reach anyone, that God can use you. And there's a story where this, I believe, just comes together, especially with those that sometimes we label as impossible. We really should toss out even labeling them that. But we do it. You know, again, like I said, this could be the atheist. This is someone that's your professor or university, a big intellectual person. This could be the businessman or woman that is rich, doesn't need, feel like they need God or anything like that. It could be someone of another generation. It could even be someone of the LGBTQ community. And in this story, that's one of those people. And it's a man named Beckett Cook who identified as gay. And he experienced God's love because a few had the compassion and the courage of the Spirit to do so. And he wrote this book, actually, of his testimony, his journey. It's called The Change of Affection. Uh, Francis Chan did a foreword of it. Um, And it's titled A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. It's awesome. It's fascinating. And he also has, he tells his testimony on YouTube. You could probably even, uh, you could probably search for his uh, testimony. I think there's a link also on there that will show you where you could find it. But if you just go on YouTube, right, in Beckett Cook, you'll see his testimony, his story. But let me share a little bit for you what he writes there in this book. And I don't bring up this story not so much just to highlight Beckett Cook's conversion, and him coming to Christ, but also how God used certain people in his life. People that said, okay, I know that God can use me and that God could reach anyone and that God has shown me incredible grace. I'm going to trust him. Pay attention to that as I tell the story. So, in this book, A Change of Affection, Becca Cook writes how he had it all. You know, he was living in Hollywood, he was living in L.A., and he identified as gay, and he was also in the Hollywood crowd as a fashion designer. He was mingling with the likes of Oprah, Katy Perry, and like swimming in Drew Barrymore's pool. I mean, he was using some of their homes that they would allow him to stay at. I'm sure it was fun, right, being able to do that. And he's at a party one day, one night, and he's wondering, and he's uh, just... a a moment of emptiness just swept over him. And he's thought to himself, is this all there really is? 
I mean, he had everything. He had no worry in the world with the amount of finances that he had in the world that he was in. But a couple months go by, and then he is actually at a coffee shop with another gay man, one of his friends, and they're there at the coffee shop. And then they see this group come in and sits down and opens up a Bible. Now, in L.A., he's saying this is crazy because he's never seen a Bible and someone come into a coffee shop and open up a Bible and sit down. And they're actually having a discussion together. And so his friend kind of prods him and says, after all the group goes, and one guy is still there with his Bible, and his friend prods him and says, you got to ask him. And so he turns to him and he says, are you one of those Christians? And he says, yeah. I, I am. And he asks him some other questions that were kind of difficult for him to understand. And so he kind of prods him with some other questions. And then he decides to ask the million dollar elephant in the room question. What is your church and what do you think about homosexuality? Do you believe it's a sin? And he goes, yeah, I do. And I believe that's what the Bible says. But he loves you. And he would tell him the gospel right there. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And then he actually invites him out to church. And Beckett writes, he was very genuine about it. He didn't compromise on... He, was, he said, I was actually flattered uh, that he had the guts to say that. But I didn't feel any condemnation in his voice. And so he, invite, he was invited to church, and he's kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to church. But then that weekend, he finds himself making plans to go to the church. He's like, I don't even know why I decided to go, but I decided to go, and I walk in, and, and they're there, and, they're, and, and it's, again, this is a church in Hollywood, in L.A., and they're, they're worshiping God, and he's just noticing people are just excited to be there. And, he, and he's seeing people just open up worshiping God. And then the, the pastor comes up and he starts preaching. And he's preaching from Romans 7. And he said he was just glued. Because the first statement that the pastor said is that a lot of you think that Christianity is just about being a good Christian and not doing anything bad. And he's like, yep, that's what I thought Christianity was. And then he would go on and eventually just explain the gospel. And he said, I was literally on the edge of my seat. He would explain the gospel, how God created you and I, and that he loves us, and he wants us to be near to his heart, and because he is the very source of life and love. But how many of us, and we all, have rebelled and said, God, I'm going to declare my independence away from you. And as a result of that, just the very fabric of our being is just torn apart. Arrived because we cut ourselves off from the very source of life and love that our heart longs for. And we make a mess of it with ourselves and those around us because of our self-centeredness, our pride at the expense of others. But God in his infinite love would not say, I'm going to just let you destroy yourselves. But he would make a plan and he would send his son and say that he is going to take the consequence for everything of our destructiveness and our self-centeredness and our pride and our sin. And that his resurrection would triumph over all of our destruction that we have brought to our lives and those around us. 
and that he would pour out his spirit to you and I so that we can be restored as his children and connected back to the very source of life and love that comes from him so that our actions and our heart results in love for God and love for others. And he was just telling this. And, and, and Beckett is just glued to his, he's, he's just glued to hearing what's going on and what he was saying. And then he asked for the band to come up and they would sing. And they also would have a time for prayer. And so they, he said, any of you want to respond in prayer? There's people along the sides of the aisle or in front. And then Peggy just finds himself getting up out of his seat and going to the man to pray. And he's like, I don't know why I'm really here, but I, I, I just feel like I guess I should. I don't know what you want to pray for. So the, the man's like, oh, it's okay. And he prays over him, praying for him. And Becca just saying in his mind at that moment, he's saying, why is this guy who doesn't even know me just praying so authentically and genuinely a prayer that just sounds so loving and I don't even know him, but he sounds like he cares about me. And then at that moment, it was done. He went back to his seat, just kind of soaking it all in. And then the Spirit of God, he says, just rushed over him. And just filled him with a love from God that he knew that I am God's child. That he loves me. And he's just uncontrollably sobbing there at his seat, he was saying. And he knew from that point on, I was adopted. That Jesus did this for me. I am, my identity is not in the fact that I'm identified as gay. My identity is not in the fact that I have all this money. My identity is not the fact that I'm this well-known person in Hollywood. My identity only is wrapped up in the fact that I am God's child and that he loves me. And that rocked him and changed him. I share that story because so many of us label other people as impossible. And I share that story because God can use you any one of us. And I share that story because, yeah, it is also a little sad sometimes how the church approaches those from the LGBTQ community. We don't come at, we don't talk to them in love and welcome them and saying, it's not about you getting cleaned up, it's about you first encountering Jesus. It's about you meeting him who loves you so much, who pursues you, and, has, and there's no accident why you're here. You know, God wants to use you and I. And His Spirit is alive and well. It's here in the church. And He wants you to be filled by His Spirit so that you and I and our faith can rise to see that there is no one that is outside of God's reach. And that I am not some person, whether I, maybe you are thinking about your past, and you're thinking, there's no way God could use me. Or you're thinking, like, I, don't, I, I can't speak to someone. I don't know what to do. I'm sure Ananias felt that way, too. But God can use you to reach anyone. Because God loves you, and he loves them. 
And I even say that, I hate even saying that because it isn't an us versus them thing. It isn't an us and them thing. It's all of us. Move beyond your bubble to reach those that we sometimes label as impossible because God can reach anyone. And God can use you. Why? Because God did this for you. God did this for you. God reached you. God had someone move to you so that God's Spirit can reach you. And so I just want to close our time. I think it's appropriate is just to remember the grace and the love of the Father that He has for you. Maybe some of you need to confess. You know, you've had an attitude towards those that you've been labeling impossible. An attitude of righteousness. An attitude of, well, at least I'm not like them. And you need to confess that. And you need to come to the Lord. And he wants you to know that, yeah, that's not my heart. That's not my heart. And he wants to welcome you. And maybe some of you are, you you have you don't know what this relationship with God is like. Maybe you thought that Christianity was all about just being a good Christian, a good person. And you never really heard the extravagant love that God has for you. I believe he's speaking to you. I believe he wants you to come near to him and make that choice today to say yes. That's all you need to say to him. Yes, Lord. And maybe for some of you are feeling convicted and feeling like, yeah, I kind of doubted God that he could reach anyone. The same thing for you. All you need to say is, yes, Lord. Okay. I'll follow you. I'll listen. Yes, Lord. And so I, I want us to sing this song together. I'm going to lead us in prayer and just ask God to wake your soul. Let that be your prayer to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your spirit. Just fill us with your grace, your love, your power. Give us courage. Give us faith to see, God, that you are God who can reach anyone. That, God, you can use us too. And so, Lord, we're asking for you to awake our soul as we sing this song too. Lord, awake us to the grace that you've shown to us. Awake us to the mercy you've shown to us. Awake us to the love. Help us never to forget how far we've come from. Help us to remember even that moment when we first gave our heart to you. Help us to remember how you were speaking to us and how we finally realized that you were pursuing us. Hear our prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?